Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lipton Walter. Today we'll be going over Chapter 9 of the Gift of Tongues, pages 53 to 92. The title of the chapter is called Testimonial. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. You can call in with your questions or comments off-air during the recording I'll bring you into the screening room. The reader portion of this program is 52 minutes long and then we'll get into the commentary portion of the program. Thank you for listening. Pages 73 to 92 Faith has been wanting, not only among the heathen, but in professed Christendom also, so that tongues, healings, prophecy, and prophets and apostles, and all the gifts and blessings have been wanting. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith's spiritual gifts are blessings from God, and those who are obedient to God's commandment should receive those gifts. As they become more prevalent in the church, it becomes apparent that God is bestowing his favor upon the saints. But spiritual gifts are not just favors and blessings. They are a necessity to the true saints of God. Joseph Smith explained, What is it that inspires professors of Christianity generally with a hope of salvation? It is that smooth, sophisticated influence of the devil, by which he deceives the whole world. But, said Mr. Solas, may I not repent and be baptized, and not pay any attention to dreams, visions, and other gifts of the spirit? I replied, suppose I am traveling and am hungry, and meet with a man and tell him I am hungry, and he tells me to go yonder, there is a house of entertainment, go and knock and you must conform to all the rules of the house, or you cannot satisfy your hunger. Knock, call for food, sit down and eat. In dash and I go and knock, and ask for food, and sit down to the table, but do not eat. Shall I satisfy my hunger? No. I must eat. The gifts are the food, and the graces of the Spirit are the gifts of the Spirit. In the early period of the church, the Lord bestowed many gifts upon his people, and the following stories are testimonials to the blessings of the gift of tongues. 
Elder Benizia Robinson brought the news of the restored gospel to his brother, Joseph Lee Robinson, in August of 1835. He was converted and baptized, and the gift of tongues was an evidence of the authority of his brother's newfound faith. He brought to me the Holy Gospel. He was an elder of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He opened up the Holy Scriptures to me as I had never seen them before. I saw the light of truth. I received it readily. I believed every word he said. I received it with great joy, and in a few days I was baptized and confirmed a member in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and in the name of Jesus Christ he gave to me the gift of the Holy Ghost, for he had said to me as Peter said, Repent and be baptized and ye shall receive the Holy Ghost that ye shall know of the doctrine that it is of God. I believed his testimony and took him at his word, and in a few days I did receive the Holy Ghost. I spoke in tongues and prophesied all of which proved to me that he was called of God as was Aaron, that he had authority to preach this gospel. I also saw that none of the sects of that day had authority to preach the gospel, to give the power of the Holy Ghost. In 1855, the Polysophical Society was organized with speeches, songs, readings and recitations and instrumental music rendered by the members of the society. Each person was allowed up to 15 minutes for his own contribution. Eliza R. spoke further of the elevating and refining influence which characterized the gatherings at all times. She relates that Mother Whitney was so inspired by the Holy Spirit upon one occasion that she arose and spoke in tongues while her face glowed with supernatural brightness. So popular did these gatherings become throughout the city that many applications for admission had to be refused for lack of room. Matthew Cowley relates several incidents in which the gift of tongues was manifest. He explains the reasons for the bestowal and the absence of many of these special gifts of God among the people. Not long since the writer attended a religious meeting at a private residence in East Bountiful. The gathering was attended by a considerable number of neighbors, old and young, including both sexes. Three of the patriarchs of the Davis stake were present and presided over the services. This meeting was but one of a great many of similar character held by the patriarchs of the Davis stake. This particular occasion was not only as a testimony and fellowship meeting, but for the dedication of the home in which it was held. The usual opening exercises of singing and prayer being over, a few remarks were made by the presiding patriarch of the meeting, followed by a brief talk and the dedicatory prayer by one of the elders present. The Spirit of the Lord was poured out upon the little assembly in a marked degree. While one of the patriarchs was speaking, the gift of tongues came upon him and he sang in, to us, an unknown tongue. The language was sweet to one's ears, the tune was melodious, and the influence which accompanied the manifestation was heavenly. When the speaker concluded, another of the patriarchs arose and gave the interpretation, 
In substance the song dwelt upon the redemption of Zion, the blessings that would come to the faithful, and their posterity to the latest generation. Generation Like the sweet psalms of David, it was truly a song of praise, containing prophecies of the future. Following this manifestation still another bearing the sacred offices of the patriarchal priesthood arose, and while talking in a calm manner expressing his faith in the Lord, and his gratitude in being numbered with the saints, the gift of tongues came to him, and he spoke for some length of time in another tongue, and with great influence and power, not loud and boisterous, yet with that power which is not easily described, but which carries conviction to the human heart. While this brother was speaking I felt impressed that the tongue by which he spoke was Lamanitish. One of the brethren gave the interpretation, which referred to the preaching of the gospel, the redemption of Zion, and particularly the preaching of the gospel to the Lamanites. The tongue also named one of the brethren present who should declare the gospel to the Lamanites. Afterward I asked the brother who rendered the interpretation if the tongue was not Lamanitish. He said it was in that a short time previous the same elder had spoken in an Indian tongue in a most remarkable manner, so much so that the people present recognized the voice, gestures and intonation characteristic of the Indian race. On this occasion one of the sisters also spoke in tongues, which was interpreted by brother. The substance of what she said was an exhortation to the sisters to praise the Lord, and be devoted to his cause. Before the meeting concluded several who were afflicted in body came forward and received the ordinance for the hurling of the sick and were benefited thereby. Those who listened to the manifestations on this occasion, I believe without exception, felt convinced that the same were prompted by the gift and power of God and greatly rejoiced in the testimony of having the favor and the approval of the Almighty in their efforts to serve Him and keep His commandments. I have recited the incidents of this little gathering as a testimony to our young men, that the gifts of the Spirit are enjoyed by the saints, and not merely in isolated cases, but wherever the saints are united, live in harmony with the Spirit and precepts of the Gospel the occasion referred to is only one out of many which could be cited. A circumstance of recent date is related to have occurred in a ward, where the gift of tongues and the interpretation was given, in the presence of two young men who were skeptical, in consequence of which they had been indifferent to the requirements of the gospel. These young men were well educated, and were much astonished that the interpretation being given by an elder without education, was perfectly grammatical in every sentence. They went so far as to say that the most expert grammarian could not pick a flaw in any sentence uttered by the speaker from beginning to end, although the speaker was not capable of himself to use the language given in the interpretation, nor to construct the speech in the form in which it was presented. We do not offer this as an argument that language to be prompted by inspiration must always and in all respects be grammatical, any more than a man to have emanated from deity must, physically, be free from every defect and deformity. 
but this circumstance coupled with the heavenly influence which accompanied the gift, made an impression upon these young men of a very deep character. They were convinced that the gift had come indeed from the Almighty. It may be said truly that wherever pure faith, unity, and zealous devotion exist, there is no dearth of the gifts of the Gospel. They are of frequent occurrence in the mission fields abroad. One instance came to my personal attention in East Kentucky last winter. While Elder Francis M. Liman and myself were attending conference in Vinsburg, a young man by the name of Brennan came to be administered to for the restoration of his health. He had been sorely afflicted for many years with convulsions. The cords of his neck would draw up and twist his head in various directions. Whenever he attempted to speak there would be such contortions of the face and mouth that it was difficult for him to express clearly the shortest sentence. In this terrible condition of suffering and humiliation, he besought us to pray for him and apply in his behalf the sacred ordinance for the healing of the sick. Elders Francis M. Liman, Newton Woodruff, myself and Geo. A. Liman officiated in the name of the Lord and almost immediately a striking change took place. The contortions were immediately diminished, and the next morning entirely gone. When he returned home, some miles from Pittsburgh, he was a restored man. His case excited much comment among his acquaintances, and was looked upon as a remarkable miracle. More so from the fact that medical skill had utterly failed to remove the affliction. This circumstance was only one of many reported by elders in almost every field of labor in the southern states, nonetheless true of the other missions in the United States, Great Britain and throughout the world. These manifestations are outward evidences to those who see and hear them, but who are not personal recipients of the same. To those who receive them, they are more than the hearing of the ear and the seeing of the eye. They are to the souls of men and women who exercise these gifts. What a shock of electricity is to the physical man, who holds in his hands the poles of the battery while the operator turns on the current. They feel and know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that some power is there over which they have no absolute control and which is not a part of their own being. Others may look on and see some outward demonstration, which carries conviction of a limited character, but no one can tell of the current, either with tongue or pen, so that another will feel and understand the operation of electricity applied to the human body. The same is true respecting the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Men may say they enjoy it and have exercised the gifts thereof, but they never fully know until they apply to their own lives the commandments of the Lord M- to his will, and the promises that then they shall know of the doctrine. This proposition of the Saviour is plain, and no sane person could ask a fairer one, it places the opportunity of knowing, not merely believing, the truth of the Gospel, on a platform as tenable and tangible as any problem in mathematics. But we must apply the rules. 
If we say to a young man that he may ascertain the length of either side of the right angle triangle by having the length of the other two sides given, that young man would expect to take our word on that proposition, apply the rules and prove it for himself. Why should he not be equally sensible and consistent respecting the gospel of our Lord and Saviour? Many of our young men say they don't know of its truth. Some even enter upon the duties of a missionary abroad with no witness of the truth. Why should we expect a testimony when we are intellectually and spiritually idle? Have we placed ourselves in a position to receive the witness? The Book of Mormon states that, you receive no witness until after the trial of your faith. Many of our young men are not intensely prayerful. They are not punctual in the performance of religious duties. They are not supporters of their own institution, the Young Men's Mutual Improvement Association. They are careless in their habits. They have not studied the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, nor given a listening ear and a willing heart to the testimony and counsel of their parents and the elders of Israel. Why should we expect evidence, testimony, conviction, and conversion, if we thus conduct ourselves, and maintain an attitude toward the gospel which is inconsistent and unbecoming in almost every respect? During a testimony meeting in Wales in 1847, at the home of Sarah Williams, the gift of tongues was the means through which a man was converted to the church. At one time an East Indian called at the house as a testimony meeting was about to begin. She spoke inquiringly to Captain Dan Jones, who presided, about the strange caller, and was told to invite him in. During the meeting, the spiritual gifts were exercised in one man, by the gift of tongues, spoke in the native language of the East Indian, telling him he ought to be baptized. The stranger asked to have the ordinance performed at once, but was persuaded to wait till the close of the meeting, when it was attended to. Many such incidents and testimonies have occurred throughout church history. A few of these manifestations are as follows. There were others also who received the gifts of the gospel in Michigan. I will mention Brother Elijah Fordham as his case was one of a peculiar nature. I remember at one of our meetings, and it was a testimony meeting, Brother Fordham was speaking in tongues when two Frenchmen were coming up the turnpike road which passed close by the schoolhouse. By some means, perhaps by hearing their own language spoken, they were attracted to the window, where they asked a boy who was outside if he knew what that man said. Of course the boy did not know any more about French than he did about Greek, for it was a spiritual gift he was then exercising. The Frenchman testified that Brother Fordham was preaching the gospel to them. England N-1854 Many of the members of the White Chapel branch of the church enjoyed the gifts of the Spirit N-the gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, visions, healings, and prophecy. Notably among these was the wife of a poor collier. 
this lady was uneducated and uncultured as to worldly learning. Consequently her speech was ungrammatical and faulty, but when speaking under the inspiration of God, her language was lucid and elegant. One Sabbath day the members of the Water Chapel branch were surprised to see a neatly dressed gentleman, a stranger, take a seat in the congregation. Congregation After the customary devotional exercises, the sacrament was administered and then the services were given over to testimony bearing. Among those who arose to speak was the collier's wife referred to. As she began to speak, the stranger listened with rapt attention. Following this speaker, another member arose and gave the interpretation in English. When the services were concluded, the gentleman approached the collier's wife and addressed her in an unknown tongue. In blank amazement the poor woman shook her head and informed the visitor that she could not understand what he said. It was now his turn to show amazement. What? Said he, you do not understand me. I am a Hebrew scholar and an officer in the British Army stationed in India. I have just listened to you speak the most perfect Hebrew I ever heard spoken, and now when I ask you a simple question in that tongue, you pretend not to understand me. Oh, she said, I was speaking by the gift of tongues, and do not understand what I said. The Hebrew scholar departed without further word, imagining he was being duped. The import of the messages given in tongues lay bare a plot and brewing among the natives of India against the British Indian government, and was no doubt given for the express benefit of the officer. Nephi, Carl G. Mises' conversion. Carl G. Mises was born in Germany. In his youth he was very studious, and while still a young man, became a very successful teacher. When he was a boy he heard something about the people known as Mormons, which made him very anxious to learn more about them, and as he grew to manhood he often wished that he might meet a member of this peculiar church. One day he heard that there were Mormon missionaries in the town. Mr. Measle was delighted at the news, and finding out where these men were staying, went to see them. He found Apostle Franklin D. Richards, President William Budget, and Elder William H. Kimball. Mr. Measer made himself acquainted with the ministers of this new and wonderful religion and invited them to come to his home and tell him about Mormonism. The invitation was accepted, and our missionaries were soon explaining the beauties of the gospel to this earnest young teacher who accepted their teachings with the eagerness of a mind hungry for the truth. Soon afterwards Mr. Measle was baptized and all three of the missionaries with some others were present to see the ceremony performed. After the baptism the party started back to the Measle home. As they walked along, Apostle Richards wished to carry on a conversation with Brother Measle. Apostle Richards could talk only in the English language, and Brother Measer only in the German, so President Budge, who understood both, acted as interpreter. 
they had not been talking very long when Apostle Richards told President Fudge that it was not necessary for him to help them anymore because they understood each other perfectly. It was a very dark evening, and when some others in the party realized that the two men, who each spoke a different language, were able to converse without any help, their feelings were indescribable and they knew it was a divine manifestation. Brother Mejia told afterwards that when he came up out of the water, he prayed for some manifestation from heaven to strengthen his faith, feeling sure that God would answer his prayer, and how soon and in what a wonderful manner his petition was granted. Whatever Brother Mejia undertook to do, he would put his whole heart and energy into, and now he was a member of the church he worked faithfully and earnestly for its promotion. While he remained in the old world he helped in every way possible, and when he came to the west he still continued the good work. When he reached Utah he naturally turned to schoolwork, and as long as he lived he labored for the benefit of the children, and young men and women of the church. Brother Measel was indeed a friend to the children. Wherever and whenever there were children needing help, there was Brother Measer ready and willing to assist them. He devoted a great deal of his time to the Sunday school and religion class work, and there are not many stakes in the church which have not been visited and benefited by the wise instructions of Brother Carl G. Measer and Dash Children's Friend. I was called to go to the Samoan Islands on a mission. Samuel Woolley gave me a patriarchal blessing saying I would be given the gift of the Samoan language. Then when I went to Salt Lake City to start on the mission, Ben J. Grant set me apart and he said, you will receive the gift of the Samoan language. Well, when I landed in Samoa, prayers. Brownie had me painting the mission house and the meeting house for nearly three months and then he sent me to Chichula, where I was to labor with Elder Frank Bancott in the Pago district. District. A few days after arriving, Elder Bancott held a meeting one Thursday evening and it was a testimony meeting in Pago Pago. After singing and prayer, Elder Bancott arose and said something to the 15 or 20 saints who had assembled. And as they started getting up and bearing their testimonies, I suppose that was what he had told them to do, but I did not understand what they said, or what he said, until finally I arose to my feet and started to talk to them in their own language. I quoted from John the Revelator, 14th chap, 6th verse, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on earth, etc. This all came to me in Samoan, and I told them still speaking in Samoan, that this angel had come to the earth and visited Joseph Smith, a young man in America, and had restored the gospel to the earth and the angel said his name was Moroni, and that I had come down there, 5,000 miles, to tell them about it. I spoke to them for about 15 minutes in their own language and then sat down. Elder Vancott who has been there about three years and knew the language well then arose and said Elder Barris had spoken to them in tongues. Said he, 
This is the same gift that was enjoyed on the day of Pentecost, when Peter arose and talked to the multitude, and they all understood in their own language, etc. I could understand bro. Bangkot Samoan talk now and in the beginning of the meeting I could not. And the natives came around me at the close of the meeting and said I talked their language fine, and I could understand them and conversed with them in their language from then on until now and it's been 50 years. The following Sunday I occupied all of the time in the sacrament meeting and just two or three years ago, bro. Queenie let me take his Samoan Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon was not translated when I was in Samoa, and I read it through and enjoyed it and understood it after 50 years. When I came home I told Perez, Grant that his promise that I should receive the gift of the language was surely fulfilled and this testimony I bear humbly to all the world. I am your brother in the Gospel, O Orlando Barris. 275 Boulevard, Logan, Utah. Missionary Experience of Alonzo A. Hinckley and Dash 1897. I had never sought for a sign, because I was fearful of them, but I did seek the Spirit of the Lord to help me touch the hearts of men. I not only prayed to the Lord to assist me to learn the Dutch language, but I also studied it as faithfully as I could. I succeeded in learning two or three sentences which enabled me to deliver my literature from door to door. One day, when I was alone, visiting among the people at Rotterdam, it was my duty to go back to the homes in which I had left tracts and take up the literature. As I went to gather the booklets, some power that I cannot understand possessed me until I quaked and trembled. I stood and looked at the house at which I was to call and felt as if I could not go to the door. But I knew my duty and so, with fortitude and determination I went to the house, raised the knocker and dropped it. Almost instantly, the door opened and an irate woman stepped out and closed it behind her. She talked in a very loud, shrill voice, berating me most severely. I did not realize for a moment that I was understanding Dutch as clearly as though she had been speaking English. I felt no supernatural power or influence or feeling. I just knew every word she was saying. She spoke so loudly that a carpenter who was working across the street, building a porch on a little store, heard her and, I suppose, thought I was abusing the woman for he came over to where we stood and brought his son with him and greatly to my alarm, he carried a broad axe. The man took his position near me and listened to the woman, who continued her tirade against me in a shouting voice. I did not grow angry because of the woman's abuse, but to the contrary, my soul was filled with a burning desire to speak her language and to testify of the divinity of the gospel and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought if I could only explain to her the importance of my message and the good it would do her, she would not berate me as she does now. In a few moments she ceased her abuse and I began speaking. And I spoke the Dutch language 
I defended the truth and bore testimony of the restoration of the gospel. I had forgotten the large man who stood near me with his axe, and, as I looked at the woman and delivered my message of truth, he put his arms across my shoulders and, looking the woman in the face said, The Mormon church may have its black sheep, but this is a man of God. Herbert is now gone, the woman replied, I know it. After the conversation, I went back home, hardly touching the ground. It dawned upon me that the prayers I had offered and and perhaps as a result in part, of the hard study I had made and on the prayers of those at home, had been answered in a moment, for I had spoken the Dutch language intelligently for the first time in my life. In ecstasy, I rushed home to tell Brother Thatcher in the office, and to tell the president of the mission. But when I attempted to speak to my dismay, I was the same as before, I could not understand nor speak the language. President Farrell asked me if I would go to meeting that night. Yes, President Farrell, I answered, after a man has been blessed of the Lord as I have been, I will gladly go. But I beg of you not to call upon me to speak even if you call upon someone to interpret what I say. Very well, he agreed, I promise you, Brother Hinckley, that if you go you will not be asked to speak. I went to meeting, and everything progressed nicely, as I thought, until Brother DeBriar, the branch president arose and, contrary to Brother Farrell's promise, announced, we shall now hear from Elder Hinckley. President Farrell stepped forward, greatly embarrassed, and, addressing me, asked, Brother Hinckley, shall I interpret for you? I felt a power I cannot describe. Wait, President Farrell, I said as I stood upon my feet. And then I began to speak, not in my native tongue, but in the Dutch language. And, then and there, I delivered the first discourse in my life in the tongue of that mission. Joseph S. Bastian was called to the Danish mission in 1888, and had this gift bestowed upon him. He had much difficulty in acquiring the language, and after a few weeks he became discouraged, and thought it impossible for him to learn the language. But the Lord gave him a marvelous manifestation of his power. His missionary companion was released to return home, and Elder Bastian was left in charge of the Randers branch. Only once had he attempted to speak before the public, and he was not able to say but a few words. Sunday came, and at the appointed time for worship the meeting hall was well filled. After that opening exercises he called upon one of the native elders to speak, but he had only occupied a few minutes, when a burning desire to speak filled the soul of Elder Bastian. He arose, and under the influence and power of God he preached the gospel with much plainness in the Danish language for an hour and twenty minutes. At the close of the meeting the native brethren and sisters all flocked around him to congratulate him, and they claimed that he had spoken the language with as much plainness as they could have spoken, and they rejoiced greatly. But as yet he could not converse with them.
Nevertheless, the Lord had given to him a testimony that he should henceforth have freedom and power in preaching the gospel. For those ministers of the gospel who have been called to preach to all nations, kindreds, and tongues, the blessing of this gift has proved invaluable. Joseph F. Smith was sent to the Sandwich Islands less than Hawaii greater than when he was 15 years of age. Ursin Pratt, in setting him apart for his mission, pronounced a prophecy upon him saying that he would receive the knowledge of the Hawaiian language by the gifts of God as well as by study. Within four months after his arrival, he was able to make a tour of the island of Moyua to preach, baptize and administer the sacrament, etc., all in the native language. What a gift of tongues is for. Let me tell you when the gift of tongues was very profitable. It was on the day of Pentecost, when the apostles of Christ stood up before the people who had assembled there from all the lands around about, talking a multitude of languages, and Peter stood up in the midst of them and declared Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead, the very Son of God, the Redeemer of the world. They all heard, everyone in his own tongue. God gave them the gift of understanding, and they understood, every man in his own tongue. The apostles spoke in their own Hebrew tongue. They did not talk a multitude of languages, but the ears and understanding of the multitude were open and they heard the voice of the apostles and understood what they said. At that time the gift of tongues was made manifest most perfectly. When our boys are called on foreign missions and dash to Germany, Holland, Norway and Sweden and to France and other foreign countries, where they have to learn a foreign language and dash let them seek for the gift of tongues. Let them pray to God to give them the knowledge of those languages by the gift of His Holy Spirit, as well as by study. There is where the gift of tongues comes in, and where it is useful. Our boys go to foreign lands, and in the space of a few months they can pick up the language of a foreign people and commence to preach the first principles of the gospel without any trouble. I went on a mission at one time to a foreign land. I was sick two weeks with a fever upon my first landing on that island. Notwithstanding that setback, on the 100th day after I landed upon those islands, I commenced my ministry, speaking in the language of the natives. I commenced to baptize and to administer the sacrament. I blessed a child and bore my testimony all in the same day. One of my brethren was there, and when he saw that I could preach, he said, Look here, you have been preaching? Why no, I said, I have just been here in even 100 days. Well, he said, I have been here two years, and you can talk the language better than I can, and I have been preaching it for the last year and a half. I learned the language by the gifts of God as well as by study. I studied, it is true, but it was the gift of tongues to me, and I learned to speak that language as well as the people themselves, and sometimes a little better. Now, if you want the gift of tongues, 
Go out on a foreign mission and pick up the language and ask the Lord to give you the gift of tongues. But seek the spirit of humility, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of meekness and submission unto the Father, and live humble lives before him and all will be well with you, my brethren and sisters. My brothers and sisters, it is good to be back from wandering to and fro in the earth. I have long needed the inspiration of a general conference, and I have not been disappointed. When we sustained this day, as the custodians of the kingdom, the men and women whose names will read, I was convinced within my heart that as long as men and women such as these are the custodians of the kingdom, the ordinances will never be changed, and the everlasting covenants will never be broken. It is my privilege to serve as a missionary in some of the far-slung areas of the earth and in the islands of the sea. I am reminded of the last commission which the Master gave to his disciples and said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. Signs to follow believers and certain signs were to follow those who believed. Among those signs were these, that they should speak with new tongues, that they would lay their hands upon the sick and they would be healed. About these two signs I would like to speak for just a moment while I visit with you. On Friday evening I attended the reunion of the New Zealand Missionary Society, and as I stood before that group I could see more men who could speak the Maori language of New Zealand than there are among the million and a half white people residing in New Zealand who can speak the native language of their native people. I attended a Bahitian missionary reunion, and I am sure that the same could be said of those men at that reunion. I believe there are here in this city more white men who can speak the Hawaiian language than there are in all the islands of Hawaii. I am sure that there are more white people here who speak the Samoan language than there are among the white residents of Samoa, and the same is true of the other islands of the Pacific. They do speak with new languages, my brothers and sisters, when they accept the call to go into the world to preach the gospel to all creatures missionary labors in New Zealand. I am reminded of President McKay's beautiful tribute to youth, the confidence he is in youth. I am personally grateful for the confidence this church had in me in my extreme youth. I was just turning 17 when I was called to go to New Zealand as a missionary. My first appointment there was to a little place called Judo, a wonderful place to go a young missionary. At the first meeting I attended in judo, I could not understand the words that were being said, and after the meeting a sister who could speak English said to me, do you know what they said in there, and what they did? I said, I could not understand a word. She said, well, you were called and sustained as the secretary of the Relief Society of the Judo branch. I made up my mind right there and then that a relief society was not going to take any liberty with my time as a missionary without my knowing something about it. And so I determined to get the gift of the Maori language 
even if I had to work for it, and I did have to work for it. Gift of Tongues I studied 11 hours every day for several weeks. I read the Book of Mormon in Maori, and my studies were punctuated with fasting and with prayer. And on my twelfth Sunday I delivered my first sermon in the Maori language they do speak with new tongues, those who accept the call to the ministry of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. I have seen young missionaries in Samoa, and in Tonga and in New Zealand and in Hawaii who, within six months time, could deliver sermons in the languages of the people among whom they were laboring and dash young men and women who did not have much scholastic training before they were called into the mission fields. But these young men and women, placed in the hands of God, and molded like clay in the hands of the potter, received the gifts which they had been promised. Promised. I had a shoemaker on one occasion down in New Zealand say to me, Oh, you Mormon missionaries think you are smart. You come out here and learn to speak the Maori language in two or three years. He said, I was here only six weeks, and I could say Karomariokitakorio Maori, which means absolutely nothing in the Maori language. What he was trying to say was that he did not know how to speak the Maori language, and he did not. I saw him three or four years later, and he was still trying to say he did not know how to speak the Maori language. I have seen our young men in Hawaii, in the Central Pacific Mission, learn to teach the gospel in Japanese. The prophet Joseph Smith also spoke briefly on the remarks of Paul concerning tongues. Sunday, December the 26th, 1841. The public meeting of the saints was at my house this evening, and after Patriarch Hiram Smith and Elder Brigham Young had spoken on the principles of faith, and the gifts of the Spirit, I read the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, also a part of the 14th chapter, and remarked that the gift of tongues was necessary in the church, but that if Satan could not speak in tongues, he could not tempt a Dutchman, or any other nation, but the English. For he can tempt the Englishman, for he has tempted me, and I am an Englishman. But the gift of tongues by the power of the Holy Ghost in the church, is for the benefit of the servants of God to preach to unbelievers, as on the day of Pentecost. When devout men from every nation shall assemble to hear the things of God, let the elders preach to them in their own mother tongue, whether it is German, French, Spanish, or Irish or any other, and let those interpret who understand the language spoken, in their own mother tongue, and this is what the Apostle meant in 1 Corinthians 14.27. Jesus said, These signs shall follow them that believe, and for many years after the restoration they did. However after the turn of the century they began to disappear, indicating that the saints no longer believed, as they once did. These gifts are evidence of the presence of the Spirit of the Lord. However, if the saints lose that spirit, they also lose those gifts. Misunderstanding the gift, chapter 10, page 93. The gift, chapter 10, page 93.
Now we'll go to the reading and commentary portion of the program. Testimonials, Chapter 9 of the Gift of Tongues, page 73 to 92. Faith has been wanting, not only among the heathen, but in professed Christendom also, so that tongues, healing, prophecy, and prophets and apostles, and all the gifts and blessings have been wanting. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 270. Spiritual gifts are blessings from God, and those who are obedient to God's commandments should receive those gifts. As they become more prevalent in the church, it becomes apparent that God is bestowing his favor upon the saints. But spiritual gifts are not just favors and blessings, they are a necessity to the true saints of God. Joseph Smith explained, quote, What is it that inspires professors of Christendom generally with a hope of salvation? It is that smooth, sophisticated influence of the devil by which he deceives the whole world. But said Mr. Solers, may I not repent and be baptized and not pay any attention to dreams, visions, and other gifts of the Spirit? I replied, suppose I am traveling and I am hungry, and meet with a man and tell him I am hungry, and he tells me to go yonder. There is a house of entertainment. Go and knock, and you must conform to all the rules of the house or you cannot satisfy your hunger. Knock, call for food, sit down and eat. And I go and knock and ask for food and sit down to to the table, but do not eat. Shall I satisfy my hunger? No, I must eat. The gifts are the food. The graces of the Spirit are the gifts of the Spirit. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 5, page 218 and 219. In the early period of the church, the Lord bestowed many gifts upon his people, and the following stories are testimonials to the blessings of the gift of tongues. Elder Ebenezer Robinson brought the news of the restored gospel to his brother, Joseph Lee Robinson, in August of 1835. He was converted and baptized, and the gift of tongues was an evidence of the authority of his brother's newfound faith. Quote, he brought to me the Holy Gospel. He was an elder of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He opened up the Holy Scriptures to me as I have never seen them before. I saw the light of truth. I received it readily. I believed every word he said. I received it with great joy, and in a new, in a few days I was baptized and confirmed a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the name of Jesus Christ, and he gave me the gift of the Holy Ghost, for he had said to me, as Peter said, Repent and be baptized, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, that ye may know of the doctrine that it is of God. Uh, real quick, we're not done with the quote, but I just find it interesting. So this was supposedly in 1835, but he's saying the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And uh, I don't believe that name was coined until later. So this this uh, quote, well, maybe this quote is after the name change. I don't know. I just, I 
just noticed it. So, anyway, I believe his testimony and took him at his word, and in a few days I did receive the Holy Ghost. I spoke in tongues and prophesied, all of which proved to me that he was called of God, as was Aaron, and that he had authority to preach this gospel. I also saw that none of the sects of that day had authority to preach the gospel to give the power of the Holy Ghost. End quote. Joseph Lee Robinson Journal, page 2. In 1855, a polysophic... I don't know how to say that word. Let me see if I can find the definition. Polysophical Society? Okay, whatever was organized with speeches, songs, readings, and recitations. An instrumental music rendered by the members of the society. Each person was allowed up to 15 minutes for his own contribution. Eliza R. spoke further of the elevating and refining influence which characterized the gathering, gatherings at all times. She relates that Mother Whitney was so inspired of the Holy Spirit upon one occasion that she arose and spoke in tongues, while her face glowed with supernatural brightness. So popular did these gatherings become throughout the city that many applications for admission had to be refused for lack of room. And quote, Life of Lorenzo Snow, T.C. Romney, or I guess that's Life of Lorenzo Snow by T.C. Romney, page 164. Matthew Cowley relates several incidents in which the gift of tongues was manifest. He explains the reason for the bestowal and the absence of many of these spiritual gifts of God among the people. Quote, Not long since the writer attended a religious meeting at a private residence in East Bountiful, the gathering was attended by a considerable number of neighbors, old and young, both, including both sexes. Three of the patriarchs of the Davis stake, that's Davis County, that's in Utah, were present and presided over the services. This meeting was but one of the great many of sim- similar character held by the patriarchs of, da- of the Davis stake. This particular occasion was not only as a testimony and fellowship meeting, but also the dedication of the home in which it was held. The usual opening exercises of singing and praying and prayer being over, a few remarks were made by the presiding patriarch of the meeting, followed by a brief talk and a dedicatory prayer by one of the elders present. The Spirit of the Lord was poured out upon the little assembly in a marked decree. While one of the patriarchs was speaking, the gift of tongues came upon him, and he sang to us in an unknown tongue. The language was sweet to one's ears. The tune was melodious, and the influence which accompanied the manifestation was heavenly. When the speaker concluded, another of the patriarchs arose and gave the interpretation. When the speaker concluded, another of the patriarchs arose and gave the interpretation. In substance, the song dwelt upon the redemption of Zion, the blessings that would come to the faithful and their posterity to the latest generation. Like the sweet psalm of David, Psalms of David, it was truly a song of praise containing prophecies of the future. 
Following this manifestation, still another bearing the sacred offices of the patriarchal priesthood arose, and while talking in a calm manner, expressing his faith in the Lord and his gratitude in being numbered with the saints, the gift of tongues came upon him, and he spoke for some length of time in another language and with great influence and power, not loud or boisterous, yet with a power which is not easily described but which carries conviction to the human heart. While this brother was speaking, I felt impressed that he, that the tongue by which he spoke was Lamanitish. One of the brethren gave the interpretation which referred to the preaching of the gospel, the redemption of Zion, and particularly the preaching of the gospel to the Lamanites. The tongue also named was are one of the brethren present and who should declare the gospel to the Lamanites. Afterwards, I asked the brother who rendered the interpretation if the tongue was not Lamanitish. He said it was, and that a short time previous, the same elder had spoken in an Indian tongue in a most remarkable manner. So much so that the people present, present recognized the voice, gesture, and in intonation characteristic of the Indian race. On this occasion, one of the sisters also spoke in tongues, which was interpreted by a brother. The substance of what she said was an exhortation to the sisters to praise the Lord and be devoted to his cause. Before the meeting concluded, several who were afflicted in body came forward and received the ordinance of healing of the sick and were benefited thereby. Those who listened to the manifestations on this occasion, I believe without exception, felt convinced that the same that the same were prompted by the gift and power of God and great, greatly rejoiced in the testimony of having the favor and approval of the Almighty in their efforts to serve Him and keep His commandments. I have recited the incident of this little gathering as a testimony to our young men that the gifts of the Spirit are enjoyed by the saints and not merely in isolated cases. But wherever the saints are united, live in harmony with the Spirit and the precepts of the Gospel, for the occasion referred to is only one out of many which could be cited. A circumstance of recent date is related to have occurred in a ward where the gift of tongues and the interpretation was given in the presence of two young men who were skeptical. In consequence of which they have been indifferent to the requirements of the gospel. These young men were well educated and were much astonished at the interpretation being given by an elder without education and was perfectly grammatical in every sentence. They went so far as to say that the most expert gram grammarian could not pick a flaw in any sentence uttered by the speaker from beginning to end, although the speaker was not capable of, of himself to use the language given in the interpretation, nor to construct the speech in the form in which it was presented. We do not offer this as an argument that language to be prompted by inspiration must always and in every respect be grammatical, any more than a man to have emanated from deity must. 
physically be free of every defect and deformity. But this circumstance, coupled with the heavenly influence which accompanied the gift, made an impression upon these young men of a very deep character. They were convinced that the gift had come indeed from the Almighty. And it may be said truly that wherever pure faith, unity, and zealous devotion exist, there is no dearth of the gifts of the gospel. They are of frequent occurrence in the mission fields abroad. One instance came to my personal attention in East Kentucky last winter, while Elder Francis M. Lyman and myself were attending conference in Vanceburg. A young man by the name of Brannon came to be administered to for the restoration of his health. He had been sorely afflicted for many years with convulsions. The cords of his neck would draw up and twist his head in various directions. Whenever he attempted to speak, there would be such contortions of the face and mouth that it was difficult for him to clearly to express clearly the shortest sentences. In this terrible condition of suffering and humiliation, he besought us to pray for him and apply in his behalf the sacred ordinances for the healing of the sick. Elder Francis M. Wyman, Newton Woodruff, myself, and Geo A. Lyman officiated in the name of the Lord and almost immediately a striking change took place. The contortions were immediately diminished and the next morning entirely gone. When he returned home some miles to Vanceburg, he was a restored man. His case excited much comment among his acquaintances and was looked upon as a remarkable miracle. More so from the fact that medical skill had utterly failed to remove the, the affliction. This circumstance was only one of many reported by elders in almost every field of labor in the southern states. Nonetheless, true of the other missions in the United States, Great Britain, and throughout the world. These manifestations are outward evidences to those who see and hear them, but who are not personal recipients of the same. To those who receive them, they are more than the hearing of the ear and the seeing of the eye. They are to the soul of men and women who exercise these gifts. What a shock of electricity is to the physical man who holds in his hand the poles of the battery while the operator turns on the current. They feel and know beyond the shadow of a doubt that some power is there over which they have absolutely no control and which is not a part of their own being. Others may look on and see some outward demonstrations which carries conviction of the limited character, but no one can tell of the current, either of the tongue or pen, so that another will feel and understand the operation of the electricity applied to the human body. The same is true respecting our testimony of the Holy Spirit. Men may say they enjoy it and have exercised the gifts thereof, but they never fully know until they apply to their own lives the commandments of the Lord to do His will, and the promise is that they, they is that then they shall know of the doctrine. St. John chapter 7, verse 17. 
This proposition of the Savior is plain, and no sane person could ask a fairer one. It places the opportunity of knowing, not merely believing, and the truth of the gospel on the platform is tenable and tangible as any problem in mathematics. But we must apply the rules. If we say to a young man that he may ascertain the length of either side of the right angle triangle by not by having the length of the other two sides given that young man would expect to take our word on that proposition apply the rules and prove it for himself why should he be not be equally sensible and consistent respecting the gospel of our lord and savior many of our young men say they don't know of its truth some even enter upon the duties of a missionary abroad with no witness of the truth. Why should we expect a testimony when we are intellectually, intellectually and spiritually idle? Have we placed ourselves in a position to receive the witness? The Book of Mormon states that you receive no witness until after the trial of your faith. Many of our young men are not intensely prayerful. They are not punctual in their performance of religious duties. They are not supporters of their own institutions, the Young Men's Mutual Improvement Association. They are careless in their habits. They have not studied the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, nor given a listening ear and a willing heart to the testimonies and counsels of their parents and the elders of Israel. Why should we expect evidence, testimony, conviction, and con conversation if we thus conduct ourselves and maintain an attitude towards the gospel which is inconsistent and unbecoming in almost every respect? And quote Matthew Cowley, Improvement Era, Volume 2, pages one, uh, 447 through 451. During a testimony meeting in Wells, in 1847, in the home of Sarah Williams, the gift of tongues was the means through which a man was converted to the church. At one time, an East Indian called at the house as a testimony meeting was about to begin. She spoke inquiringly of Captain Don, Dan Jones, who presided about the strange caller, and was told to invite him in. During the meeting, the spiritual gifts were exercised, and one man by the gift of tongues spoken the native language of the East Indian, telling him he ought to be baptized. The stranger asked to have the ordinance performed at once and was persuaded to wait until the close of the meeting when it was attended to. LDS Bio Encyclopedia by Jensen, Volume 2, page 535. Many such incidents and testimonies have occurred throughout the church history. A few of these manifestations are as follows, quote, There were others also who received the gift of the gospel in Michigan in 1833. I will mention Brother Elijah Fordham, as ha his case was one of a particular nature, a peculiar nature. I remember at one of our meetings, and it was a testimony meeting, Brother Fordham was speaking in tongues when two Frenchmen were coming up the Turnpike Road, which passed close by the schoolhouse. By some means, perhaps by hearing their own language spoken, they were attracted to the window, where they asked a boy 
who was outside if he knew what that man said. Of course the boy did not know any more about French than he knew about Greek, for it was the spiritual gift he was then exercising. The Frenchman testified that Brother Fordham was preaching the gospel to them. Autobiography of Edward Stevenson, page 21. England, 1854. Many of the members of the White Chapel branch of the church enjoyed the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, visions, healings, and prophecy. Notably among these was a wife of, of poor Collier. This lady was uneducated and uncultured as to worldly learning. Consequently, her speech was ungrammatical and faulty. But when speaking under the inspiration of God, her language was lucid and elegant. One Sabbath day, the member of one Sabbath day, the members of the White Chapel branch were surprised to see a neatly dressed gentleman, a stranger, take a seat in the congregation. After the customary, or customary devotional exercises, the sacrament was administered, and then the services were given over to te testimony bearing. Among those who arose to speak was Collier's wife referred to. As she began to speak, the stranger listened with rapt attention. Following this speaker, another member arose and gave the interpretation in English. When the services were concluded, the gentleman approached the Collier's wife and addressed her in an unknown tongue. In blank amazement, the poor woman shook her head and informed the visitor that she could not understand what he said. It was now his turn to show amazement. What? said he. You do not understand me? I am a Hebrew scholar and an officer in the British Army stationed in India. I have just listened to you speak the most perfect Hebrew I ever heard spoken. And, and now when I ask you a simple question in the tongue, you pretend not to understand me. Oh, she said, I was speaking by the gift of tongues and do not understand what I said. The Hebrew scholar departed without further word, imagining his being, he was being duped. The import of the message was given in tongues, lay bare, a plot then brewing, brewing among the natives of India against the British government and was no doubt given for the bene express benefit of the officer. And quote memoirs of Henry, Henry Savage and family written by his son Nephi Miles Savage, 1810 to 1886. I guess that's when that guy lived, but that was on pages uh, 17 and 18 of his book. Carl G. Mayer's conversation, or conversion. Carl G. Mayer was born in Germany in his youth, and he was very studious, and while still a young man, became a very successful teacher. In fact, uh, real quick, Carl G. Mayer has a building named after him at BYU, so he had some import in the history of the church, just for those of you that don't know. Anyway, continuing with the quote, and when he was a boy, he heard something about people known as Mormons, which made him very anxious to learn more about them. And as he grew to, to manhood, he often wished that he might meet a member of this peculiar church. One day he heard that they were, there were Mormon missionaries in the town, 
Mr. Mazur was delighted at the news and finding out where these men were staying, went to see them. He found Apostle Franklin D. Richards, President Budget, and Elder William H. Kimball. Mr. Mazur made himself acquainted with the ministers of this new and wonderful religion and invited them to come into his home and tell him about Mormonism. The invitation was accepted, and our missionaries were soon explaining the beauties of the gospel to this earnest young teacher and accepted, who accepted their teachings with the eagerness of a mind hungry for the truth. Soon afterwards, Mr. Mazur was baptized, and all three of the, of the missionaries with some others were present to see the ceremony performed. After the baptism, the party started back to the Mazer home. As they walked along, Apostle Richards wished to carry on a conversation with Brother Mazer. Apostle Richards could, could talk only in the English language, and Brother Mazer only in the German. So Budge, who understood both, acted as an interpreter. They had not been talking for very long when Apostle Richards told President Budge that it was not necessary for him to help any, them anymore because they understood each other perfectly. It was a very dark evening, and some others in the party realized that the two men, who each spoke a different language, were able to converse without any help. Their feelings were incredibly indescribable, and they knew it was a divine manifestation. Brother Mazur told afterwards that when he came upon, or come up out of the river, he prayed for some manifestation from heaven to strengthen his faith, feeling sure that God would answer his prayer, and how soon and in what a wonderful manner was his petition granted. Whatever Brother Mazur undertook to do, he would put his whole heart and energy into it, and now he was a member of the church, he, and, now, and now he was a member of the church, he worked faithful and earnestly for its promotion. While he remained in the old world, he helped in every way possible, and when he came to the West, he still continued the good work. When he reached Utah, he naturally turned to schoolwork and as long as he lived, he labored for the benefit of the children and young men and women of the church. Brother Mazur was indeed a friend to the children. Wherever and whenever there were children needing help, there was Brother Mazur ready and willing to assist them. He devoted a great deal of his time to the Sunday school and religion classwork. And there are not many stakes in the church which have not been visited and benefited by the, the wise instructions of Brother Carl G. Mazur. Children's Friend, Leah Hona, The Elder's Journal, Volume 8, page 276. About 1895, I was called to go to the Samoan Islands on a mission. Samuel Woolley gave me a patriarchal blessing saying I would be given the gift of the Samoan language. Then, when I went to Salt Lake City to start the mission, Heber J. Grant sent me a part and said, you will receive the gift of the Samoan language. Well, when I landed in Samoa, President Browning had me painting the mission house and the meeting house for nearly three months. And then he sent me to Tutulia, I guess that, Tutulia, 
where I was able to labor with Elder Frank Vancott in the Pago Pago district. A few days after destruct, a few days after arriving, Elder Vancott held a meeting one Thursday um, evening, and it was a testimony meeting in Pago Pago. After singing in prayer, Elder Vancott arose and said something to the fifteen or the twenty saints who had assembled. And as they started getting up and bearing their testimonies, I suppose that he that that was what he had told them to do. But I did not understand what they said and what he said until finally I rose to my feet and started to talk to them in their own language. I quoted from John the Revelator, 14th chapter, 6th verse, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth, etc. This all came to me in Samoan, and I told them, still speaking in Samoan, that this angel had come to visit the earth, to the earth, and visited Joseph Smith, a young man in America, and had restored the gospel to the earth, and the angel said his name was Moroni, and that I had come down there 5,000 miles to tell them about it. I spoke to them for about 15 minutes in their own language, and then sat down. Elder Vanguard, who had been there for about three years and knew the language well, then arose and said, Brother Bar- Barus had spoken to, the, to them in tongues, said he. This is the same gift that was enjoyed on the day of Pentecost when Peter arose and talked to the multitude, and they all understood in their own language. I could understand Brother Van Samoan talk now, and in the beginning of the meeting I could not. And the natives came around me at the close of the meeting and said I talked their language fine and could understand them and converse with them in their language from then on until now, and it's been 50 years. The following Sunday, I occupied all of the time in sacrament meeting, and just two or three years ago, Brother Quinny let me take some Samoan Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon was not translated when I was in Samoa, and I read it through and enjoyed it, and understood after 50 years. When I came home, I told President Grant that his promise that I should receive the gift of the language was surely fulfilled, and this testimony I bear humbly to all the world. I am your brother in the gospel, O. Orlando Barras, 275 Boulevard, Logan, Utah. Missionary Experiences of Alonzo A. Hinckley, 1997, or 1897, and by the way, he was an apostle in the LBS church, and uh, anyway, he said, I, never, I had never sought for a sign because I was fearful of them, I, but I did seek for the Spirit of the Lord to help me touch the hearts of men, not only prayed to the Lord to assist me to learn the Dutch language, but also studied it faithfully as I could. I succeeded in lear- learning two or three sentences, which enabled me to deliver my le- literature from door to door. One day when I was alone visiting among the people of Rotterdam, it was my duty to go back to the homes in which I had left tracks and take up, a li- take up the literature. As I went to gather the booklets, some power that I cannot understand possessed me until I quaked and trembled. 
I stood and looked at the house which I was to call on, which I was to call, and felt as if I could go not only, as if I could not go to the door. But I knew my duty, and so with fortitude and determination, I went to the house, raised the knocker, and dropped it. Almost instantly, the door opened, and an irate woman stepped out and closed it behind her. She talked in a very loud, shrill voice, berating me most severely. I did not re- realize at the moment that I was that I was understanding Dutch as clearly as though she had been speaking English. I felt no no supernatural power or influence or feeling. I just knew every word she was saying. She spoke so loudly that a carpenter who was working across the street building a porch on a little store heard her, and I suppose though I was abusing the woman for he came over to where we stood and brought his son with him to great, uh, and greatly to my alarm. He carried a broad axe. The woman stood or took his or the man, sorry, took his position near me and listened to the woman who continued her tirade against me in, sh- in a shouting voice. I did not grow angry because of the woman's abuse, but to the contrary, my soul was filled with the burning desire to speak her language and to testify of the divinity of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought if I could only explain to her the importance of my message and the good it would do her, she would not berate me as she does now. A few moments, in a few moments, she ceased her abuse and and I began speaking. I spoke the Dutch language. I defended the truth and bore testimony of the restoration of the gospel. I had forgotten the large man who stood near me with his axe, and as I looked at the woman and delivered my message of truth, he put his arms across my shoulders and looking at the woman in the face and said, the Mormon church may have its black sheep, but this is a man of God. Her bitterness now gone, the woman replied, I know it. After the conversation, I went back home, hardly touching the ground, and it dawned upon me that the prayers I had offered, and perhaps as a result in part of the hard study I had made, and the prayers of those at home had been answered in a moment, for I had spoken the Dutch language intelligently for the first time in my life, In ecstasy, I rushed home to tell Brother Thatcher in his office and to tell the president of the mission. But when I attempted to speak to to my dismay, I was the same as before. I could not understand nor speak the language. President Farrell asked me if I would go to meeting that night. Yes, President Farrell, I answered. After a man has been so blessed of the Lord as I have been, I will gladly go. But I beg of you not to call upon me to speak, even if you call upon someone to interpret what I say. Very well, he agreed. I promise you, Brother Hinckley, that if you go, you will will not be asked to speak. I went to meeting, and everything progressed nicely, and I thought, as I thought, until Brother DeBry, the branch president, arose, and contrary to Brother Farrell's promise, announced, we shall now hear from Elder Hinckley. (laughs) 
President Farrell stepped forward, greatly embarrassed, and addressing me, asked Brother Hinckley, shall I interpret for you? I felt the power I cannot describe. Wait, President Farrell, I said as I stood upon my feet, and then I began to speak, not in my native tongue, but in the Dutch language. And then and there, I delivered the first discourse in my life in the tongue of that mission. And quote, Faith of Our Pioneer Fathers, Hinckley, page two, uh, 231 to 233. Gerson S. Bastian was called to the Danish mission in 1888 and had this gift bestowed upon him. Quote, he had much difficulty in acquiring the language, and after a few weeks, he became discouraged and thought it was impossible for him to learn the language. But the Lord gave him a marvelous manifestation of his power. His missionary companion was released to return home, and Elder Bastian was left in charge of the Randers branch. Only once had he attempted to speak before the public, and I was not able, and he was not able to say but a few words. Sunday came, and at the appointed appointed time for worship the meeting hall was was well filled after the opening exercises he called upon one of his native elders to speak but he had only occupied a few minutes when a burning desire to speak filled the soul of elder bastian he arose and under the influence and power of god he preached the gospel with much plainness in the dutch language for an hour and 20 minutes. At the close of the meeting, the native brethren and sisters all flocked around him to congratulate him, and they, they claimed that he had spoken the language with much plainness as they could have spoken, and they rejoiced greatly. But as yet, he could not converse with them. Nevertheless, the Lord had given to him a testimony that he should henceforth have freedom and, and power in preaching the gospel. LDS Bi- Bi- Biographical Encyclopedia by Jensen, Volume 1, page 345. For those ministers of the gospel who have been called to preach to all nations, kindreds, and tongues, and the blessings of the, the gift have proven invaluable. Joseph F. Smith was sent to the Sandwich Islands, or Hawaii, when he was 15 years of age. Orson Pratt, in setting him apart for his mission, pronounced a prophecy upon him saying that he would receive the knowledge of the Hawaiian language by the gift of God as well as by study. Within four months after his arrival, he was able to make a tour of the island of Maui to preach, baptize, and administer the sacrament, etc. in the native language. What the gift of tongues is for. Let me tell you when the gift of tongues was very profitable. It was on the day of Pentecost, or Shavuot, when the apostles of Christ stood up before the people who had assembled there from all the lands around about, talking a multitude of languages. And Peter stood up in the midst of them and declared Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead, the very Son of God, the Redeemer of the world. They all heard every one in his own tongue. God gave them the gift of understanding, and they understood. Every man in his own tongue. 
The apostles spoke in their own Hebrew tongue. They did not talk a multitude of languages. But the ears and the understanding of the multitude were opened, and they heard the voice of the apostles and understood what they said. At that time, the gift of tongues was made manifest most perfectly. When our boys are called to foreign missions, to Germany, Holland, Norway, and Sweden, and to France and other foreign countries, where they have to learn a foreign language, let them seek for the gift of tongues. Let them pray to God to give them the knowledge of those languages by the gift of his Holy Spirit, as well as by study. There is where the gift of tongues comes in and where it is useful. Our boys go to foreign lands, and in the space of a few months, they can pick up the language of a foreign people and commence to preach the first principles of the gospel without any trouble. I went on a mission at one time to a foreign land. I was sick two weeks with a fever upon my first landing on that island. Notwithstanding that setback, on the 100th day after I landed upon the, those islands, I commenced my ministry speaking in the language of the natives. I commenced to baptize and to administer the sacrament. I blessed a child and bore my testimony all in the same day. One of my brethren was there, and when he saw that I could preach, he said, Look here, you have been preaching. Why no, said I. I have just been here in even uh, even 100 days. Well, he said, I have been here two years, and you can talk the language better than I can, and I have been preaching it for the last year and a half. I learned the language by the gift of God as well as by study. I studied, it is true, but it was the gift of tongues to me. I learned to speak that language as well as the people themselves, and sometimes a little better. Now, if you want the gift of tongues, go out on a foreign mission and pick up the language and ask the Lord to give you the gift of tongues. But seek the spirit of humility, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of meekness and submission unto the Father and live humble lives before him and all will be well with you, my brothers and sisters. Joseph F. Smith, September 2nd, 1906 in the Leahona Magazine, uh, volume 12, page 776. My brothers and sisters, it is good to be back... from wandering to and fro on the earth. I have not long needed the inspiration I have long needed the inspiration of a general conference and have not been disappointed. When we sustain this day, the custodians of the kingdom, the men and women whose names we were read, I was convinced within my heart that as long as men and women such as these are custodians of the kingdom, The ordinances will never be changed, and the everlasting covenant will never be broken. It is my privilege to serve as a missionary in some of the far-flung areas of the earth and in the islands of the sea. I am reminded of the last commission which the Master gave to his disciples and said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, that he... He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned.
signs to follow believers. And certain signs were to follow those who believed. Among those signs were these, that they should speak with new tongues, that they would lay their hands upon the sick and they would be healed. About these two signs, I would like to speak for just a moment. While I I visited with you, on Friday evening, I attended the reunion of New Zealand Missionary Society, and as I stood before that group, I could see more men who could speak the Maori language of New Zealand than there were, uh, than there are among the millions and a half white people now residing in New Zealand who could can speak the native language of their native people. I attended the Tahitian missionary reunion. And I am sure that the same could be said of those men at that reunion. I believe here, I believe there are here in the city more white men who can speak the Hawaiian language than there are in all the islands of Hawaii. I am sure that there are more white people here to speak the Samoan language than there are among the white residents of Samoa. And the same is true of the other islands of the Pacific. They do speak with new languages. My brothers and sisters, when they accept the call to go into the world to preach the gospel to all creatures, missionary laborers in New Zealand, I am reminded of President McKay's beautiful <coughs> tribute to youth and the conference he has in youth and the confidence he has in youth. I am personally grateful for the confidence this church had in me in my extreme youth. I was just turning 17 when I was called to go to the New Zealand, uh, to New Zealand as a missionary. My first appointment there was a little place called Judea, a wonderful place to go for a young missionary. At the first meeting I attended in Judea, I could not understand the words that were being said. And after the meeting, a sister who, who could speak English said to me, do you know what they, what they said in there? Do you know what they said in there and what they did? <laughs> this is funny. And I, um, I said, I could not understand a word. She said, well, you were called and sustained as the secretary of the Relief Society of the Judea branch. I made up my mind right there and then that the Relief Society was not going to take any liberty with my time as a missionary without my knowing something about it. And so I determined to get the gift of the Maori language, even if I had to work for it. And I did have to work for it, the gift of tongues. I studied 11 hours a day for several weeks. I read the Book of Mormon in Maori, and my studies were punctuated with fasting and with prayer. And on my 12th Sunday, I delivered my first sermon in the Maori, Maori language. They do speak with new tongues, those who accept the call of the ministry of our Lord Jesus and Savior Jesus Christ. I have now seen young missionaries in Samoa and in Tonga and in New Zealand and in Hawaii who within six months' time could deliver sermons in the languages of the people among whom they were laboring. Young men and women who did not have much scholastic training before they were called into the mission fields, but these young men and women placed in the hands of God and molded like clay in the hands of the potter, received the gifts which they had been promised. 
I had a shoemaker on one occasion down in New Zealand say to me, Oh, you Mormon missionaries think you are so smart. You come out here and learn and to speak the Maori language in two or three years. He said, I was here I was here only six weeks, and I could say, Kiwara-o, I can't say that, which means in Maori, absolutely nothing in the Maori language. What he was trying to say was that he did not know how to speak the Maori language, and he did not. I saw him three or four years later, and he was still trying to say he did not know how to speak the Maori language. I have seen our young men in Hawaii in Central Pacific Mission learn to, to teach and teach the gospel in Japanese and quote Matthew Cowley Conference Report, October 1948, pages 155 and 150, uh, through 157. The Prophet Joseph Smith also spoke briefly on the remarks of Paul concerning tongues. Sunday, December 26, 1841, the public meeting of the saints was at my house this evening, and after Patriarch Hiram Smith and Elder Brigham Young had spoken on the principles of faith and the gifts of the Spirit, I read in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, also a part of the 14th chapter, and I remarked that the gift of tongues was necessary in the church, but that if Satan could not speak in tongues, he could not tempt Dutchmen or any other nation, but the English, for he can tempt the Englishman, for he has tempted me, and I am an Englishman. But the gift of tongues by the, the power of the Holy Ghost in the church is for the benefit of the servants of God to preach to unbelievers as on the day of Pentecost. When devouted, a devout men from every nation shall assemble to hear the things of God, let the elders preach to them in their own mother tongue whether it is German, French, Spanish, or Irish, or any other language, let those interpret, those interpret who understand the language spoken and in their own mother tongue, this is what the apostle meant in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 27. End quote, and that was Joseph Smith, Doctrinal History of the Church, volume 4, page 486. So um, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827, and we're on the last page now. Jesus said, These signs shall follow them that believe, and for many years after the restoration they did. However, after the turn of the century, they began to disappear, indicated the saints no longer believed as they once did. These gifts are evidence of the presence of the Spirit of the Lord. However, if the saints lose that Spirit, they will also lose those gifts. And that is the end of that chapter. The next chapter we'll be reading will be Misunderstanding the Gift, chapter 10, and it will start on page 93. funny parts of that was funny I, I don't know if you got my message um on their mark but i was laughing <laughs> so what were you laughing about because i saw you said lol but i didn't you when they were talking about that guy who was like i could basically say and then you were like yeah i can't say that and i was like laughing 
because it just wow. was like a whole bunch of jumbled. And I was, well, I was reading along with it, so I was watching what you were reading. <laughs> so oh, when you said yeah. that, I was like laughing because I was kind of waiting to see you say that, and then you didn't, and I was like, oh. Wasn't <laughs> even gonna try. Yeah, I know. My tongue don't but work it was like funny that. Too because, yeah, well. Yeah, foreign languages are not really your thing, too. But that's what the gift of tongues is for, right? So that even when you can't understand or speak in that language... Sorry, I've got areas here. <laughs> Talking to me. Um, but when you can't understand, even then, God made a provision, and he found, a, you know, he he finds a way for everybody to be able to speak in tongues that other people can hear or comprehend and understand. Tongues of foreign languages. Well, yeah, do you understand what I said before that, though? Oh, sorry. About, so, yeah. Yeah, because sometimes you're like, I don't even remember what I said. Yeah, do you well, remember? Yeah, no, I know that's happened a lot of times. So, for the listening audience, what she's talking about is, uh, so after my mission, I spent a lot of years running around the United States and Canada as an over-the-road church driver. And I would try to go to church every week, no matter where I was at. And if it was fasting testimony, testimony meeting, I would get up. And there were many times that the Spirit was burning like fire in me, and I was preaching um, just about something that I had learned that week or something, you know. And uh, I, I would like... It would be like I was standing there watching the congregation, listening to myself speak, but not participating in the speaking. <laughs> and I wouldn't even know what in the world I was saying, but I would be speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and people would come up to me all the time, oh, that was exactly what I needed to hear. Thank you. I felt the Spirit so strong. And my God would basically using me to to deliver a message to the congregation wherever I was at. And there were many times when like they would they would like ask me something more about whatever I was talking about and I would be like, Oh, the spirit took over. I don't even know what I said and that was the honest truth. Like there have been many times when the spirit just took over took over my mouth. And spoke through me, and I just stood there, and like, I don't know, it's so weird. But but it was like many, many, many occasions that this kind of thing happened. So anyway, that's what Kim was talking about. Yep. Then one other thing came to, to my mind while we were thinking and reading that, and I hope I'm not going like way off the way. This is what I was thinking about. So sometimes when we're called to do things like, um, when we're called to go on missions and we feel inadequate or we um, have a bad experience, a lot of times it helps us to hyper-focus on the things that we want to work on even more. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so what I was just going to say was that um, uh, it kind of goes along with your whole life story of how you wanted to finish your mission, but you had a collapsed lung and you had to, you know, come home early. But that was all yeah. done by design, I feel like, because... If that had yep. not happened that way, then you would not have, you know, gone overboard. I mean, I don't know what you would call overboard, but some people might say you no, are a little bit. No, it was overboard. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> well yeah. you know, I mean. I was trying to say it nicely. I did a good job. <laughs> you know, I was pretty decent as a missionary. I had my own way of uh, preaching because I was a Baptist beforehand. And my grandfather, who had served seven missions for the LDS Church, taught me how to teach people in the way he did it, not the way they did it. You know, so like, but I was, you know, I loved my mission. And I have had dreams. Even maybe six months ago, like that, I'm in the mission field again. But I was a, I wasn't able to finish my mission. When I went home, I was not released from the doctors, and uh, I didn't have a place to live, and they had to release me from my mission. And I told God, you know what? I couldn't do that, but I can do this. And I I like just became a, a missionary, you know, as an over-the-road truck driver, wherever I was at, and it kind of catapulted me into just time studying and praying and seeking revelation and anyway I'm on wash plant Kim okay um I was just gonna say I feel like that was completely by design so now you reach so much so many people because of what happened and and I know um like so you didn't finish your mission but you were honorably, you got your plaque and everything, and it was an honorable release of your mission. It wasn't, um, you know, sent yeah. home early. It just finished. You know, you're still, we're on very good terms, and it just sent you into overdrive to go above and beyond to not only teach. Even though, you know your little card that says that you were released to serve the America, I can't remember exactly what it says. You have your card, and it says something unique. It doesn't just say um, the mission on it that you were called to do, oh, but it says. Actually, I have it on me. You do? I can't remember, but yeah. I remember reading it one time, and it says that you are set apart to preach, like, I can't remember. It just says, like, um, America, across America. I can't remember. It says something interesting, and it was like, oh, I didn't even notice that before. But it doesn't just say that you were set apart for the Georgia-Macon mission. It said um, more than that. So it was kind of interesting, I thought, anyway. Well, uh, it's in my bag. I, uh, I, I'm trying to drive. So anyway, but, um, yeah, so for you people out there, I still have my little white handbook. It's in my bag with me. And uh, it says that I'm duly ordained as a minister of Jesus Christ. And uh, what Kim is talking about is actually the blessing that I received from my state president after my mission. Um, but, like, what is she talking about? Actually, it does. it's not the same as other missionary ones. I, it's just it's different. I don't know why. But I think... I, can, I um, read it I somewhere, though. Did you have a writing of it? Yeah. Well, I do have, I was set apart as a state missionary and also as a missionary over North America. And that was by my state president in West Valley yeah, City. Yeah, that's what it said. After my mission. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and I was an over-the-road truck driver and I preached and I was dedicated, you know, to sharing the gospel with anybody that I could to talk to, you know, including going into uh, churches like Baptist churches and Methodist churches, and and I would study their theology 
Um, I've studied every single major religion and many minor religions just to come to an understanding of how they believe and how I can help them to develop a, a faith in Jesus Christ and learn to receive revelation for themselves, you know, and uh, share with them the restoration. So uh, I feel like you've had some very interesting blessings, though, like in the past, too, because, <clears throat> which is, um, I feel like, been a gift um, as far as who has been giving you the blessings and, and the ability to feel the spirit because like with your patriarchal blessing how um, they specifically said that you had your calling in election nature which was interesting because at the time you really didn't have any information on it um, it doesn't say my calling in election what it says is that I have been given the greatest gift that God has to bestow the gift of eternal life when I asked right, yeah. the president and the patriarch what that meant, meant, it said that I it meant that I had my calling an election made sure, which then caused me to be like uh, Heavenly Father. Um, I just like was a goth like six months ago. How in the world is it possible? What does it even mean? You know, and I bugged him to death. Um, you know, and I kept asking him. What does this mean? And that's when, in 2003, I was taken up before the Father, and I saw him face to face, and I knelt before him after I embraced him in the flesh. And um, and he said that he was filling me up into eternal life. Or, or, he said, I'm filling you up unto myself and unto eternal life. And then, uh, and then, like, as his hands were on my head, um, light was emanating from me. And uh, I didn't hear what he said until 10 years later when I kept asking him, what did you say? Because, um, well, what happened was he told me to rededicate a bunch of historical sites for the church. Remember when we drove across from New Hampshire and we went to all the historical sites from the church and like the last place he told me um, he told me to go to the temple lot in Independence, the four lot owned by the three churches and he said now fill it up and rededicate them and then he said now fill it up into me and I said well but I, but I how am I supposed to do that? I don't have the filling power and he said fill it up into me and I was like Okay, and then that caught, and then I did that, and it was like really an interesting experience spiritually. Um, remember what I said when that happened? Yeah, you felt like yeah. you had gotten lifted up off the ground, like float, floated up. Yeah. There was a huge gust of wind, or I don't, was it? I, the way I remember so, it was that there was. Yeah, you were are there. Are you there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There. And you felt like you had come up off the ground. <laughs> yeah, and there, it was just a different kind of experience. So then I was like, Heavenly Father, like what? Like when you had your hands on my head, like in 2003, like what did you say? Because I knew that he was speaking, but I did not hear what he said. And that's when uh, we met Joshua Sparks. Joshua Sparks was caught up in a vision, and he told me 
what he heard the father say as he watched the father lay his hands on my head. And then I received a confirmation that was what Joshua saw was uh, correct. So, and that was when I was given the fullness of the priesthood and the keys to the kingdom, the priesthood, and the church. They set it in order. So, yeah, interesting stuff that happened in 2013. Anyway, I am driving up on the grids right now. And my other phone with the headset that is, uh, you know, the one that I can use with my hard hat on, it actually died. So, hold on, the headset didn't die, the phone died, but I just got to turn back on. Okay, Emmett just uh, threw seven bales of hay out into that thing, filled it up. Yeah, and it's like way over the top of it. It's cool. And I said, how did you do that? He said, well, I spun in a circle and threw it up, and then I fell on my butt. (laughs) Yep, it was was funny. Wow, that's a lot of bells. Can you hear me? Yeah, he did cut the wires off of them, too. Yep, I can hear you. He got the the hay bailing wire stuff off of it, too. So... They won't have anything in there after they eat it all, but it should last them, uh, you know, okay. a little bit. All right, I got the other headset on, so I'm jumping out of the truck. It is very windy today. I yeah. don't know if you can hear the wind. A little bit. I can gosh. a little bit, but not bad. Yeah, it was oh so my windy gosh. for some reason, like ridiculous. My hard hat is like flying off my head. <laughs> Okay, but yeah, so I was out there throwing bales of hay. Um, I brought eight bales over total. I threw one as like a distraction so that I could throw the bales of hay in there without them jumping. And of course, the distraction only worked on two of them, so it would be the baby goat popping in the thing while I was throwing hay in. <laughs> so like, I was trying to throw it around him. Um, when I got that wagon and I cleaned it off and brought it back and did that. Um, I can fit three bales of hay on there, which is good. And I just sort of threw them over. Uh, And then I had to go grab that one on the ground and put it in. And the wires actually came off really easy, so it wasn't that hard to cut them off because I had my knife. But the goats were under and in and, like, layered through and knotted in all the bales, like, while I was trying to throw bales in. You didn't squish any of my babies, did you? Not the babies. Uh, Qui-Gon, he hopped in, and I hit him square in the nose with a bale. I feel so sad. And also, it was so hilarious. Did he get out really quick? No, he, like, looked at me and, like, you have the audacity. (laughs) Then he hopped on top of the bale I just threw in that hit him and hopped on top of that and ate more hay from him. Goats are so silly. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Ah, uh, I like I like our goats. They're ridiculous. So, oh my gosh, it's 44 degrees, but it's blowing like 30 miles an hour. Maybe not 25. I don't know. Anyway, it is ridiculous cold out there. <laughs> Wind chill. Yeah, it's 45 degrees. Feels like half of that, not even. 
Yeah. 45. Ugh. Anyway, I'm back in the truck now, and my uh, my pup is getting emptied out. It's kind of cool driving these trucks. Like, they load into the top, and then we pull over a Grizz, which is a graded thing, and it drops out onto the ground. And it'll unload in, like, two seconds or something. It's ridiculous how fast it goes out. Maybe not two seconds. Maybe five. <laughs> anyway, um, I wanted to address something on uh, on the radio show now that so we don't have any callers, which you know that sucks. I mean, I'd like to have a discussion with people, but they ignore me. Um, in fact, I said something to somebody in my group that's been in my group for a while, and he says, "Are you the admin?" I'm like. I post all the time. I It says admin under my name every time I post. And, like, you're like, are you the admin? I'm like, various ways, you know. People just ignore me. And Satan no, wants them to ignore me. What? They're like, are you the admin? I'm like, no, I'm wizard. I'm the wizard of this site. Pay no attention to the man <laughs> posting all of this stuff. Whatever. Anyway, but um, so on the Zoom call last night, and I don't want to attack him, but, like, I'm going to speak truth, and he will not take correction, so I don't even bother trying to correct him anymore or, like, you know, and, like, he'll make all kinds of excuses up. All right. So now the problem is this man believes that Joseph Smith is going to return into mortality, not as a resurrected being, to set the house of God in order, which is interesting. And I'm not fighting that. But what he's trying to show that Jesus Christ came into mortality multiple times before he was the resurrected Savior. And I do have a problem with that. So because of DNC section 107, 42, and 43, it talks about Seth being in the express likeness of Adam. Now, we know that Michael, who is Adam, is the father of Jesus Christ. That's the Adam-God doctrine. I'm not going to go into it, but it was taught in the early days of the church. And no, it was not a theory, and I have proven it many times over, and I know it's true by by the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, so he knows that too, but he takes this scripture in DNC section 107, 42 and 43, and says, well, Jesus was very in the very likeness of his father, who is Adam, you know, Michael. Um, anyway, and I'm just like, yeah, but that doesn't mean that Jesus is him. And he's taught in the past that Melchizedek is the pre-incarnation of the, resur- uh, of the Savior, Jesus Christ, or Yeshua. Oh, and then he fights about Yeshua. Oh, Jesus is his name. People who say that Yeshua, uh, and uh, I don't know, in Aramaic and Hebrew, there's no Jah sound. There's no J. In fact, in the King James Version of the Bible, when it was printed in 1611, they hadn't yet invented the J. He, uh, his name was Jesus which is a derivation of the Greek that goes through the Latin, the Greek, and whatever, you know, 
But um, but Yeshua was his name, and he fights about that, fights about a bunch of things, right? Things that he proclaims to be a, a great big old elder on that knows so much that can't be corrected. Well, uh, last night he said that Jesus, Seth, and Melchizedek were the same person. Now, in April of 1844, Joseph Smith stated in the Times and Seasons, if they contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants, you have to set them down as imposters. Hold on here. I'm just trying to get out of this, this yard here. All right. Well, how does he contradict by teaching this so-called doctrine that he's trying to promulgate? Ether chapter 3, Jesus tells uh Mohanrai Moriankmer, or the brother of Jared, that he has not ever appeared to man before that point. This is after the Tower of Babel. This is after Seth, and this is after Melchizedek. But he had not yet appeared to any other people. Then he says, this is my spirit body, and he basically says, this is what I'll look like when I come in the meridian of time because he had not yet come into mortality and he had not yet appeared to anyone before that point meaning he was not Shem or Melchizedek or Seth and these individuals like this individual he teaches a lot of really good stuff and I but he teaches key points of doctrine which lead you astray key points of doctrine that leads you astray, but he teaches a lot of truth too. You know, kind of like how Satan taught truth in the Garden of Eden, but then he led him astray in false doctrines too. That's what these people do, and I I want to like him, but every time I have corrected them or offered a suggestion on a way to look at Scripture different than what he is uh, trying to teach, he always he always uh, attacks whatever I say. And um, I'm not saying it because this is what I've speculated about. I'm saying it because I've gotten personal revelation on these subjects, and I know what I am speaking about. Not speculate and not just believe, but know that what I'm speaking about many times is absolutely 100% correct because God has spoken that to me. And I have gone back to God and said, I believe this is what you're saying. Please help me to understand. And I receive a confirmation of the Spirit, and God does, and I do. And I am built on the rock of revelation, not the sands of speculation. But this individual, um, he is Joseph Smith. I said that when God raises up a prophet, which he did in 1995 and then 2003 and then 2013 when he finally told me exactly who I am, that God, uh, when he raises up a true prophet, and I am, that uh, Satan will raise up false prophets, which will lead the people astray, and they will teach so very close to the truth that even the very elect of God may be deceived by these people, which is happening. 
and I would curse that man. But God has told me to keep my peace, or hold my peace, that people who are led astray by this individual deserve to be led astray. And that he is the servant of God, separating wheat from tares. He's just not on the side he thinks he's on. So, um, I'm on Wash Plant. Are you there still? Yep, I am. Can you hear me? Hello? I don't think he can hear me. Are we in overdrive now? Yes, we're in overdrive. Can you hear me? Yeah, I was on Wash Plant. That's what I said before I got on Wash Plant, and then I was on it, so... You know, cell phone yep, doesn't work very well. Right okay, yep. well, anyway, um, so I wanted to share that with the people. Um, I also want to remind the people that Isaiah saw a very small remnant. He saw a tenth of a tenth of the elect. So if there's 17 million members in the church, a tenth of a tenth or 1%, what, what is that, like 1,700 people? Or is it 17,000? I don't know. But I, the, the church numbers are inflated. They are absolutely inflated. You can take the number of wards and congregations and divide it by how many people there are. And there's like on the upward end of 500 people for every branch, ward, and ward in the church, which, uh, no, it's just there's, there's so many people on the rolls of the church that have nothing to do with Mormonism or the church, but they continue to bolster those numbers to lie. They just lie I, all the time, you know. They lie for the Lord. Now, their Lord is Satan, who wants to appear as an angel of light, and their fruits are the fruits of Babylonian businessmen, not prophets, seers, and revelators. So I don't know how many people will be in, in the mountains and in the highways and the desert places where Isaiah said that, you know, that the church or Zion would be redeemed in the desert and the wilderness, you know, that stuff still has to happen. But it's going to happen. It's just not going to be with all the people that think they're going to be there. So, all right. Kim? I'll check in in a second. Hi. Hi. Okay, so did you have anything to say about any of this? Do you have any, uh, like, comments or observations about how I have been doing this for so many years and people, like, just ignore me? Like, I don't understand. Like, friends ignore me, you know? Like, people that know I am, like our friend Mitch, they know I am exactly um, who I say I am. But you Danielle know, said and, she'll call in and talk to you if you want to talk to her. <laughs> uh, if she has any questions or comments, anybody can call no. in. That's our I friend from Roosevelt is staying with us yeah. for a week. But yeah. like, so um, Mitch I don't know knows that I am stuff. who I proclaim to be. What's that? 
I said, I don't know, I had a whole bunch of stuff to say in the middle of your reading because I was, like, thinking about all of that stuff and, and it, how it pertained to, I guess, you mostly because I think about you. Um, but um, I'll, today I was thinking about the wind because you know how windy it is, right? <clears throat> it's ridiculous. It's been ridiculous. And so I was thinking about yeah. the last time like when you had commanded the wind, when God told you to command the wind to stop, and I was thinking about that and how um, I had no idea that you had done that, but you called me and I started complaining at you. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's like well, I was so, <laughs> I was so excited. I never had that happen. I didn't even know that I could do that. And my trailers are going to tip over because of the wind. And I was like, God, please don't let my trailers tip over. I'm going to lose my job if my empty trailers tip over. And he said, command, get out, stop the truck, get out, and command the wind to stop using the authority that I gave you. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I no idea. This is August of 2013. And so I said, okay, well, I'll get over right now. And I did, and I commanded the, the, uh, the wind to stop, and it stopped. And I was so excited. Like, within 10 minutes, it was a light breeze. No, it was five minutes. It was like a light breeze. And then within 10 minutes, all of the uh, the dirt and particles that were in the windstorm, they fell out of the sky. And the windstorm just disappeared. And so I was excited, and I called Kim, and I'm like, guess what I just did? And then she had walked to the grocery store. And it was a nice blustery day, like 120 miles south of where I was. And uh, she went outside, and it was dead calm in August of 2013. And she's like, really? You're going to just wait? Yeah. I'm going through Cat Canyon. Yeah, it was so funny because I was, like, walking with kids with the stroller, and I was like, oh, it's a nice day. It'll be fine. We'll go get some milk. It'll be fine. But then as I came out of the grocery store, there was, like, completely no wind at all anymore. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's like the surface of the sun. But I was thinking, I was thinking, okay, it's not bad. You just have to make it back to the house. It'll be fine. We'll get to the air conditioning. Yeah, and you had to push the stra- stroller uphill. I know. For, like, a mile. Yeah, and the little kids were like, Elodia was like, can I get in the stroller? I'm like, no, uh, Eliza's in the stroller. So it was so funny. But, yeah, it was definitely really hot. She was only a couple months old. Yeah. And I was like, okay, fine, I will just stick it out. She was like three months old. Eliza was three months old. And Olivia was like four. And Emma was six. Uh Emma was almost Uh, seven. Seven. Yeah, almost seven. Uh, no, he was seven. He was almost eight. And yeah. Olivia was four, and she, yeah, she was four. So, anyway, but, like, so Kim, he, she's watched all of this take place. I didn't know who I was. I only knew that God had, like, called me and, like, sealed me up, and, like, I'd have these amazing experiences. But I had no idea who I was until after I married Kim. And it was a surprise, a huge surprise. You know, and she's been there the whole, the whole way and seen the miracles and heard about the miracles. 
and just watch this as an eyewitness of all these things that have happened and all the people that come to get me uh, to get baptized by me, you know, and all of the stuff and all of the good stuff and the bad stuff and all the crap, you know, with, uh, with the two individuals who are now in prison who used to be part of my church. You know, she's been there the whole time, and she can stand as a witness. But in all that time, like even the individuals who know who I am, and they know that I'm exactly who I proclaim to be, they still don't feel like it's their, you know, they don't have to listen to me. They don't have to receive the revelations that I've received for them to warn them to move out of the cities and to gather to Emory County. And they just run around and they do whatever they want and they get their blessings, they think, you know, and then they they treat me as uh, a thing of naught. And it frustrates me to a point. Um, oh, the other thing that um, our friend Phil on Doctrine of Christ was talking about was that when the Davidic servant comes, that he will prophesy things and they will come true. And I was like, yeah, but no, I didn't say this, but like Jeremiah prophesied things too. And guess what? Nobody listened to him because they had all these other false prophets that told them smooth things in their ears and they rejected Jeremiah. And then guess what? Nobody could follow Jeremiah because they were all stuck in Babylon in captivity. Oh, we, we know that Jeremiah was a true prophet now because all the stuff that he was warning us about, oh, that actually did happen. But there's nothing we can do about it now, you know. And it's the same thing with Isaiah. And Isaiah prophesied many things which didn't happen for thousands and thousands and thousands of years or at least hundreds. You know, so they couldn't test his revelations against what happened, but they accept him as a prophet. Well, guess what? I've been telling people for years they need to get the heck out of the city. But they need to gather to Emory County, Utah. This is the gathering place where we will gather until it is time for us to gather in the wilderness and in the desert places, which God has shown me and three other individuals where that is. And so, yeah, as, as Babylon's falling apart around you and you're getting murdered because you were not obedient, you'll probably say, or even after you're dead, you'll probably say, well, I guess he was a true prophet. Maybe we should have listened to him. But it doesn't matter because now we're dead. You know, um, I don't know. Yeah. I'm going in the depth. Do you want to read Acts chapter 3, verses 22 and 23 for me? Yep, Acts chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. <clears throat> okay. Let's see. It says, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet 
shall be destroyed from among the people. Okay, now go to Joseph Smith's history, verse 40. History. Forty. Yeah. Forty forty. Sorry, I'm scrolling through as fast as I can. <clears throat> These verses are really long. <laughs> okay. It says In addition to these, he quoted the 11th chapter of Isaiah saying that it was about to be fulfilled. He quoted also the 3rd chapter of Acts 22nd and 23rd verses precisely as they stand in our New Testament. He said that that prophet was Christ, but the day had not yet come when they who would not hear his voice should be cut off from among the people, but soon would come. So Joseph Smith is being told by an angel of God that Isaiah chapter 11 is about to take place and that the man of Acts chapter 2 verses 22 and 20, or chapter 3, 22 and 23 is Christ, but the day had not yet come when he would be rejected by his people. Well, Jesus had already been rejected by his people. But the Jews know about two messiahs, one redeemer messiah, who is a king messiah, and one who is an Elias, or a general, who comes to prepare the way for for the king messiah. And he's called Messiah ben Joseph, who is also considered a Christ in Greek. Not a redeemer, not in the same way that Jesus was, but that's what Moroni is talking about. So when you go to DNC section 113, and it says that the stem is Christ, it's not talking about Jesus Christ. It's talking about Messiah ben Joseph, okay? And I am that individual. And they who will not hear my voice will be destroyed from among the people. And it won't be because I'm destroying them. It's going to be because I have been warning them for years and years and years and they treat me as a lunatic and a deranged nut job and they refuse to listen and if they do listen they refuse to act and if they act enough to get a revelation that they can know that I am exactly who I proclaim to be they might come and get baptized but then they don't heed my warning and they go and do what the hellever they want to do and those people who think they're being so righteous by coming to me and getting baptized, and then they wander back off into the wilderness, like, for instance, my friend Jordan Bales, who decided that I'm not an Indian, and the Indian prophet's the one that's going to do all this stuff, and even though he's gotten a revelation that I am who I proclaim to be, he stopped following me because I'm not an Indian, which is weird because he never asked. Kim. Yeah. What kind of Indian are you? Um, the kind that's like a thirty-eight percent. The kind that has not a whole lot of leg hair or other kind of hair. I just have high cheekbones, black eyes, Kim. and um, no hair. Why? Kim. Kim. Yeah. What kind of 
Oh, like what? Native tribe? American. <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. I am. Oh, now I can't remember because you're asking me at the spot. <clears throat> Comanche or um, Apache um, Comanche. or yeah. Iroquois. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I am, I am from. What am I? Um, I don't remember. I can't remember me. How am I going to remember you? It's oh. in my family genealogy, my, great my family grandmother, great, My great-grandmother <laughs> was a purebred Iroquois Indian from the Seneca Nation. Yeah, I have Jewish ancestry. I have English and Scottish and French. I even found a Chinaman in my wigwam. <laughs> but I'm an Indian. I'm a native. I, I have Native American ancestry. Whatever your great-grandmother is, you know, mm-hmm. a 16th or a 32nd or something like that. But, yeah, I'm Iroquois Indian. That Jordan Bell's never asked me that. He never asked me, and he, he, he runs away and says, well, I, I felt really good about Mark, but, uh, but he's not an Indian, and he can't be the Indian prophet because there has to be an Indian prophet that does the work of this ministry. So I guess I was wrong, and I really like Mark, but he is deceived, and the Holy Spirit must have lied to me, or I got it wrong, or whatever. Never asked me if I have Indian heritage. You know, and these individuals, they come and they get baptized. He and his wife, Carissa, got baptized. You know, and they helped us out. But you know what? I wasn't righteous enough for him. I knew that was going to be a problem before he left. I wasn't as refined as him. You know, he's a return missionary. He's raised in the church. Never had a problem with cussing or drugs or alcohol or anything of the sort. You know, and Carissa didn't like me uh, because she was so scared that I was going to make him practice polygamy. Remember how stupid and paranoid she used to be? Yeah. It was ridiculous. You know, and I never even told... I. Polygamy is only for people who God reveals it to. That's it. Period. End of story. And you have your free agency to whether you're going to live it or not. Also, you know, whatever. And so he's gone off into the weeds. Remember Paul? Yeah, he was really shocked at his own revelation even. I'm sorry, I'm not saying a lot. Every time I talk, I start having a coughing fit. Sorry. Oh. Anyway, my aunt knew who I was, and she used to come on the call all the time. And uh, our friend Paul was her neighbor, and he used to listen to the the call all the time. And my aunt felt the spirit get really strong, but she could tell it wasn't, like, speaking to her. And she looked over to Paul, and Paul has got his jaw dropped and his eyes wide open, and he – and. Uh, Colleen was like, what's going on, Paul? And he said, the spirit's really strong. And I just got a witness that, that Mark is exactly who he says he is. And he was shocked by it. 
but at least he had an open mind, you know. But then what happens to him? He's up in Idaho somewhere. Who knows? Yeah, that's super weird because I remember that whole conversation between you guys, and then, like, nothing happened. Like, he didn't do anything about it. And lost touch yeah. with you completely. So that's kind of strange. And that yeah. happens a lot. Um, it's like people search and search their whole life. They're revealed truth. And then they're like, oh, that was nice. And then walk away. Really weird. Strange behavior. Well, what happened to my aunt? She wouldn't listen. Did she ever get baptized by me? I can't remember. I don't remember either. Yeah, I was. I think, to think we went to the hot springs up by uh, Preston, Idaho. Yeah, maybe that was him. Was that him? But it wasn't Colleen. Yeah. Well, anyway, so my story or my point is, I told Colleen what God told me to tell her, and she refused to listen. Eventually, she event, and this woman has had so many spiritual experiences. She claims to have seen Jesus Christ face to face. Now she says, oh, I must have been deceived. I'm a Jew now. You know, completely rejects yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, but she's kind of a because she's received a lot of different things, and um, she is always looking for the next thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but she didn't listen, and she had the light taken away from her. She knew that I was the one mighty and strong before I did. I told her that she was nuts. God had been trying to whisper to me that I was the one mighty and strong. I was like, no, not me. Never. Like, I, I was like, nope, this is a revelation from the adversary, you know. And uh, Colleen knew that I was, you know, I was mighty and strong. And that's spoken of in DNC 85, set the house of God in order. And also Isaiah chapter 28, same thing. Anyway, but uh, Colleen knew. And it took me getting completely broke down. And then God, I just very upset. And I, I was praying to God, and I was like, why is this stuff happening to me? I don't understand. And God said, kneel before me and ask me who you are. And then he showed me. And that was in uh, January of 2013 or sometime in that time period. I think it was January of 2013. And, uh, and I was like, What? But not only am I the one mighty and strong, I have a higher office than that, actually. And it took me a minute, and I was like, God, am I the witness? And he's like, there has to be somebody. And it just took me off. But, but Colleen knew that stuff. She'd gotten a revelation. But now she's off in the weeds, you know, because she never acted upon it. There's so many individuals out there who have asked me to baptize them. And I tell them, show up, I'll baptize you. They never show up. And then they fall away, you know. Because if you don't act upon the revelations that God gives you, he's not going to give you any more. And he'll take away the light that you had because you don't deserve it. Anyway, I think that's the end of my ranting and raving. Um, it's already almost 8.30, and I am on the mine road going back up to the mine. So that means... I'm going to cut out, and if my call drops, then uh, I will be able to get back in. So Emmett or Cam or whoever's running in the studio right now, 
Can you please cue the music? And thank you for reading, Kim. Thanks for helping out, Emmett. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care. God bless. And goodbye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.